From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in for this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. Well, coming up, is the Biden administration's allegiance to abortion greater than its allegiance to a resourced and ready military? Guess what? We're going to find out very soon as the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, may be stopped in its tracks over the Biden administration's illegal funding of abortion travel. We're going to get the latest from Texas Congressman Chip Roy when he joins us in just a moment. It is becoming evident that the Biden administration is going to have a difficult time getting money for more money for Ukraine until there is an agreement to secure our southern border. We are going to secure the border. Nothing's going to get passed with regard to Ukraine unless this border is going to be secure. And it's going to be clear. It's not going to be, oh, we tried. We passed some BS that doesn't do anything. It will, it will only happen if we have real border security to pass. That was Florida Senator Rick Scott at a press conference with the House Freedom Caucus and other Republican senators this afternoon. We're going to get the details later when we're joined by another senator who was there, Indiana Senator Mike Braun, joins us here on Washington Watch. There's growing concern that the polls being pushed by the Biden administration and others in Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza is only benefiting Hamas. Hamas doesn't care about the people in Gaza. All they are interested in is implementing Hitler's final solution. And nothing can change a genocidal ideology. It must be uprooted and eradicated. Every call for a ceasefire means Hamas gets to live to see another day, terrorizing Israelis and impoverishing Gazans. That was Gilad Erdan, permanent representative of Israel to the United Nations. We're going to get the latest on the war in Israel from IDF spokesman Major Doran Spielman later on Washington Watch. Finally, preliminary data released by the National Center for Health Statistics show that suicides in the United States last year hit a record high. Nearly 50,000 people took their own lives in 2022. Now this, according to a provisional tally of the data. So who is at greatest risk and why? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Jennifer Bowens, director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Our word for today comes from John chapter 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to save us from the sentence of death that we're under because of sin. He actually came to give us life, life plus. His purpose was not just to get us across the finish line as survivors, but to enable us to thrive, to experience the abundant life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean material wealth. The abundant life is not a synonym for fame and fortune. It means a fulfilling, soul-satisfying life. When Jesus is Lord, when he has first place in our lives, everything else falls into its proper place, and we have what people are desperately searching for, purpose, meaning, and contentment. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. Before I bring in my first guest, let me say thank you. Yesterday was Giving Tuesday, and I want to thank those of you who called in to partner with the Family Research Council. Thanks to your generous support, we exceeded our goal. We're thankful for listeners like you who are standing firm for biblical truth. Thank you again for being so generous with what God has given to you and for partnering with us during this Christmas season. We could not do this important work without you. 
Well, as I mentioned, the left's obsession with abortion has stalled efforts to finalize the National Defense Authorization Act. You'll remember that following the overturning of Roe v. Wade in 2022, the Biden administration issued a policy unilaterally that has the Department of Defense funding abortion travel for service members, which both violates the law and it injects the abortion agenda into national defense policy. Well, in July, the House passed its version of the National Defense Authorization Act, which includes the Jackson-Roy Amendment, which rolls back the Pentagon's illegal abortion policy. And the NDAA passed by the Democratic-controlled Senate does not include such language. And both sides are in conference today to hammer out a final agreement. The question is, will the Jackson-Roy language survive these negotiations? Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Chip Roy, who serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Budget Committee, and the House Rules Committee. He represents the 21st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Roy, welcome back to the program. Great to be on, Tony. I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving, and I hope you're doing well. I, I did. It's always nice to be out of D.C. And, uh, and with family. But it's back to work. I was on the Hill. I know uh, you've been busy today with the Rules Committee. Um, it, it, I had a, had a conversation with the speaker, and it sounds as if the House is uh, standing pretty firm on this no taxpayer funding to facilitate abortion. Well, I know that is certainly my position. It's certainly the position of the Freedom Caucus, and I hope it'll uh, continue to be, I hope, the position of the speaker. Uh, to be clear, as you just explained to all of your listeners, uh, the uh, position of the current administration, the Biden administration, has been to expand, contrary to law, uh, the ability of members of the military, the Department of Defense, to travel to go uh, get abortions all at taxpayer expense, take days off, uh, and all using taxpayer dollars. Well, that is against the law, and of course, uh, it's a... It's a uh, can you hear me, Tony? Yeah, you just dropped out there for a minute. Keep Keep going. Okay, sorry. Um, and so we worked, as you said, in July to pass in the National Defense Authorization Act uh, limits on that to constrain the abuse uh, of the law by the Biden administration. And unfortunately, they're trying to ignore that in the Senate. They're not even in conference. Right? When you were in Congress, we actually went to conference committee. Um, we're not even doing that. Uh, my friend Scott Perry is a conferee. He's not gone to any conference yet. What's happening right now is that Chuck Schumer and some of the Republicans in the Senate are trying to pregame out a compromise on this to water it down, take out the abortion protections, take out the transgender surgeries restrictions, take out the critical race theory and DEI stuff that we put in there to limit the abuses and the woke stuff. And they want to add a 32-day a extension of FISA on there which is, you know, against our own civil liberties in terms of the abuses over oh. at the DOJ and our intelligence. Well, well first off, so what, does that have, stop that. what does that have to do with the National Defense Authorization Act? Nothing. And that flies in the face of everything we tried to do last year to get back to single subject bills, focus on our work in, in, in regular order. And so we believe we ought to take that, up that, the NDAA. That should be a non-starter. 100%. We're in complete agreement. It ought to be a non-starter that we water down all of those great provisions, and it ought to be a non-starter that we add the um, the FISA provision. Well, that that's in a clear violation of, of what the Republicans agreed to at the beginning of this Congress, that you were going to deal with single-issue measures. 
That's exactly right, Tony. And, and so I'm hopeful that the speaker, and obviously he's a good friend of mine and a good friend of yours, uh, I'm hopeful that the speaker will adhere to those agreements that we made in January and force the Senate to do their job. Um, we can take up FISA by itself. We can take up the NDAA by itself. But we need to do it through the conference committee, through regular order, and we need to make sure that we're fighting to defend uh, the House's position. We right. passed a good bill. It was a very good bill. So let's go. In to fact, conference. it was one of the best NDAAs that I've seen in almost 20 years. So it was a very good bill. Correct. So I, I want to go to this issue. I'm going to focus on the abortion issue one because that's one of the issues in the Senate, where Senator Tuberville, who's been on the program a lot, a good friend of yeah. yours who has said, look, I'm not I'm putting a pause, a hold on promotions. You're going to have to vote on them one at a time because of this unilateral change in the abortion funding, abortion travel of uh, for the military. Is this not the off ramp they've been looking at? Just adopt the NDAA as passed by the House that addresses this issue. This takes care of the promotion issue as well. A hundred percent. And And let's be clear to everyone out there listening. Uh, Coach Tuberville deserves praise for having uh, the courage to stand up and try to stand for the non-taxpayer funding of abortion and abortion tourism. Uh, I wish more of his Senate colleagues were standing alongside him. I want to be very clear. There are a lot of senators who run as pro-life senators who are not standing with Coach Tuberville and who are all too happy to move an NDAA that removes our protection for life. You're exactly right. This is the off-ramp they'd be looking for. Um, I stand with Coach Tuberville. I believe that we ought to have a defense that is focused on defending the United States, not social engineering, and not funding abortion tourism. Agreed. I mean, especially when we see how volatile the world is right now, we should be focused on one thing when it comes to our military. That is having a force that is lethal, that is prepared to defend this country. And all of this DEI, uh, abortion, travel, all of this stuff is, is a distraction. Just what Israel was doing, Israel was distracted when they were attacked by Hamas. Yep. If we're not careful with an open southern border, focused on all this other stuff, we're not going to be prepared when we're attacked. Yeah, you're exactly right. And not to jump ahead a segment that you're going to have. Uh, you know, I was there at the press conference with Mike Braun, who I think you're going to have on. Rick Scott, you played a clip. Uh, we talked about spending. We talked about uh, issues like the NDAA, like you just described. But we also talked about the border. And, and uh, I hope that there's no circumstance in which we will bring to the floor of the House uh, anything for Ukraine until we've done what we are supposed to do to defend the border of the United States. And that means passing H.R. 2 out of the Senate. Joe Biden signing it into law, attaching metrics to it. If any dollar flows to Ukraine, it must come after the border to the United States is secure. And only then, if it's transparent and mission focused. So we're going to stand on that wall, defending what the American people sent us here to do. I get thanked all the time in Texas. I don't often get thanked in Congress. And that's exactly the way it ought to be. You're there to represent your constituents back in, in, in Texas, who I'm sure are very much in line with your positions or you're in line with theirs. And, and by the way, uh, we're, we're going to help on this NDAA. The Family Research Council has announced that uh, we're going to score this. And in fact, I, I told the speaker that today, that we're going to score this measure if the House language on ending this abortion travel is taken out. There's no reason, no reason. This is a 60, 65, 70 percent issue Across the board in America, we do not believe taxpayer money, sh money should go to fund abortion. 
No, and Tony, this is really important, right? You know, we want a major victory for life. It's not a political victory. It's a victory for life. Last summer, through all of our works for the last 50 years, to overturn Roe because it's the right legal result and the right result for life. But right now, we should be doing everything we can to win minds and hearts. And I know that the vast majority of the American people, regardless of where they fall in the spectrum on abortion and different beliefs about it at birth or at six weeks or 15 weeks, the fact is they don't want taxpayer funding. They want us to stay focused on a military doing its job. So let's pull all that out. It's Democrats who want to politicize our defense. We're the ones who want to get it focused on its job. But but I want to just for a moment, we're almost out of time here, but you mentioned the Republicans. There are some Republicans in the Senate that will not take a definitive stand on this. And they're the ones that are saying a a lot of them after the Roe decision, after Roe was turned, the Dobbs decision, Roe overturned, that, well, the the government doesn't have a role in this. The federal government doesn't have a role. It certainly does have a role when it comes to the funding of abortion. It should not be doing it. That's beyond question. And and it has been a core principle for decades with respect to the Hyde Amendment and generally speaking with the defense that we not do that. And Democrats are complaining that we're the ones injecting, you know, social issues into this. No, they're the ones that injected cultural and social issues. And Coach Tuberville stood up. We stood up in the House. And dadgummit, the Senate needs to stand up. And I hope that Senator uh, Speaker Johnson will help us hold the line with the House passed bill from July. Well, we're with you. Agree 100%. Chip Roy, always great to see you. Thanks for fighting the good fight. You too. God bless, Tony. All right. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy of uh, Texas. All right. Jot this number down because this is where you come in. 202-224-3121. I'll talk more about it. But you need to call your congressman and your senator. Tell them to hold the line on no taxpayer funding for abortion. All right. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. In fact, the action items from our last segment on the National Defense Authorization Act, we need you to weigh in. As I've told you before, our republic was not made for spectators. It was made for participants. So give your congressman and your two senators a call and tell them not to support a National Defense Authorization Act that does not remove the Biden abortion funding, all right? So go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, more people committed suicide in the United States last year than in any year on record dating all the way back to 1941. Now, according to provisional data recently released by the National Centers for Health Statistics, the number of lives lost to suicide in 2022 totaled more than 49,000 and represents more than 14 deaths for every 100,000 people. While the legacy media rushes to provide possible explanations for the despair that so many feel, you know, COVID, we're still using COVID as an excuse. There's something missing from this discussion, and it's the spiritual nature of man. You cannot really talk about hopelessness and despair if you're not willing to talk about the spiritual nature that we have as human beings. Join me now to discuss this, Dr. Jennifer Bowens, director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Dr. Bowens has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse. Dr. Bowens, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Good to see you too, Tony. So uh, I want to start off with, uh, according to these, this data, it's pretty alarming, mm-hmm. who's at greatest risk? So we're looking at, well, there are a number of different ethnic groups, but we're, we're kind of focused here on uh, a group that we don't often think about, and that's uh, males who are 75 and older. And, you know, you think, why on earth would this population, white males, 75 or older, be at risk for suicide? And I'll, for that, I'll, I'll kind of draw this comparison, because when we look to um, some of the things that happen with post-traumatic stress, Sometimes you see this age group, they, they may not uh, show any symptoms until they start retiring, right? So they go into retirement, maybe they have um, a loss of a spouse or loss of relationships, a loss of meaning, right? right. They're not productive in that sense of, of what they've lived their whole right. life in. And so now they're faced with, what is my life about? And I think that you know, whether we're talking about this age group or we're talking about just our whole world right now is saying, what is life about? 
And we know that from the suicide literature that religion, um, social support, having, having a sense of meaning and purpose in life is very protective. It, it prevents people from committing suicide. They have a purpose. They have a purpose. And, and that's what we're not seeing happen in our world. But isn't our that world. one of the big questions, one of the big five questions we ask in life? You know, why am I here? You know, where am I going? You know, yeah. wh- what's my purpose? You know, in this, it, it, all of those questions are answered in a relationship with your creator. And so I know, and I'm very open about this, I'm looking at this as a Christian and, and as a Bible-believing Christian, but when I look at all these articles that are, you know, sounding the alarm over this data, there's zero, zero conversation about the spiritual nature of man. Yeah, even though the literature recognizes that having a, a spiritual belief or a, a religious affiliation is protective against suicide, and yet that's what we're seeing decline in our world. So we should be emphasizing that in, in every sector of our society is b- belong, fi- find a place of faith. So do you think, and I know you'd have to look and study yeah. all of this, but is there a connection between the marginalization and the exclusion of religion as a society and these rising rates of suicide, depression, anxiety? You know, there has to be. I mean, I I don't even have to do a big study. There has to be a connection because we are wired to have a meaningful, purposeful life and to have that through connection with with God. Is that what Jesus said? And I quote at the beginning of the program in John 10.10. Jesus said that I came that you might have life and have life abundantly, not just to survive. I believe God intends for us to thrive. He absolutely intends for us to thrive. And the other part of that verse is, and the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And people aren't recognizing that there is an enemy that we are battling who, who is about killing us, stealing from us, and destroying us. So if you don't have an anchor in Jesus, when your world falls apart, like we talked about at the beginning here, right. when, you, when you retire or maybe you have loss, where are you going to turn? You have to have that that person, Jesus, as the anchor of your soul. So, so give us some some action steps here to either to be looking for, to respond to. How do we address this? Because it's touching everyone. But, yes. And I think as believers, and you know, I know many of our viewers and listeners are, um, you know, we are not immune to the attacks of the enemy, yeah. the stealing, the killing right. and destroying. And so we need to recognize that there is an attempt to steal our hope in this hour. But I really believe that if we can remain hopeful in the face of adversity, we are going to have the most influence because people are looking for hope-filled people. And we, when we can rise up in the midst of what's going on in our world and say, you know, there is a way through this, and there is a way to not just through, but to thrive. And we can only get that in connection to the Holy Spirit. That's not something that we can drum up, but that comes through relationship with Jesus, and because right. He is hope. And if we're not anchored in that hope, we can't offer that hope. And we know Him through His Word. And, and as Christians, as believers, we need to be in that Word, because that's really what I think I would say even inoculates us uh, to the, the attacks of the enemy, the mm-hmm. hopelessness, the despair that often comes on everybody in this world. Yeah, yeah, and 
and I would say too, just at a very practical level, you know, if you know people who are in these age groups or people who've who've experienced some of the risk, they've they've been through a loss of a job or a loss of a family member or friend, reach out to them, visit them, because you know, we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we show that connection with him. So we're others. up against a break, but very quickly, so it, it, it doesn't have to be anything profound. It's just coming alongside, having conversations and doing life yeah. together. Absolutely. It's, it's not complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people are always hesitant. I just don't know what to say. Just go have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Presence. Yeah. Be, be present. Presence. Very good. <laughs> Jennifer, always great to talk with you. You too. Thanks for stopping in. All right. See you later. All right, folks, we're going to come back on the other side of the break. We're going to get an update from Israel. We're going to be talking to a spokesman for the Israeli Defense Force, giving us an update on what is happening in the effort to eliminate Hamas and the threat to Israel. That's next. Don't go away. We're back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As the negotiated agreement between Israel and Hamas to Paul's fighting in Gaza continues through at least today, reports from Capitol Hill indicate a rift among Democrats regarding placing conditions on continued security aid to Israel, which would represent an abrupt shift from longstanding U.S. policy toward its greatest ally in the Middle East. The pause in the fighting, which has led to the joy of hostages returning home, has also allowed Hamas to regroup and increase uncertainty regarding the next stage of this conflict. Join me now to 
discuss this and more is Major Daron Spielman, a spokesman for the Israeli Defense Forces, which is the national military of the state of Israel. Major Spielman, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. So, so Major, tell us the latest on the pause, where we are with the hostages, and is there discussions about extending this current pause? Right now, we actually have 14 hostages, which include 10 Israelis and four Thai nationals that are on their way right now from the Gaza Strip through Egypt into Israel. So we are expecting them any minute to arrive in Israel, which, of course, for us is a great sense of joy to have our people home. This should include uh, children, these innocent little children who were taken hostages and uh, a number of their mothers. So this really is a ray of light. However, the dark clouds of Hamas are still over us, and we know that we have more than 150 hostages currently in the Gaza Strip, in God knows where, inside tunnels deep underneath the ground, possibly malnourished. We don't know who's alive. We don't know who isn't alive. And these people are also our top priority. We are going to bring these people home. Currently, within the framework that we've established, we are now in the sixth day of this receiving home of our hostages. We're also releasing convicted Palestinian felons, uh, including some who have committed some really despicable crimes. But this is part of the price we're paying in order to get our people home. Is there concern that as these as the pulse continues, that international opinion will turn, preventing Israel from being able to secure its own country by eliminating this threat of Hamas? I think if people really were to consider this conflict, let's say, in their backyard, and they have a murderous regime who came into their own neighborhood, massacred their neighbors, lit their houses on fire, people they know were burnt alive, people they know, including sweet children in their children's school, were taken off and brought back to Gaza as hostages. Women they know were brutally raped and murdered. And then there is a military campaign to defeat this murderous enemy. Would they hold off? Would they pull back? What are we supposed to do in Israel? Are we supposed to put our children to sleep at night? What are we supposed to say to them when they ask us, mommy and daddy, are those, those murderers still out there? I can tell you as an Israeli that we are not going to stop until Hamas is eliminated because I want to be able to tell my child they are gone. We have defeated them. Hamas is no longer here. And that is the only option as our prime minister, as our chief of staff have said, and that is what we in the military are geared for. As long as this framework to get our hostages works, we're willing to do it, as long as the political echelon tells us to move forward. However, getting rid of Hamas is non-negotiable. Well, Major, I, I agree with you. I've been to Israel many times. Um, I, our audience, our viewers, our listeners, I think the vast majority are greatly supportive of Israel. I always, I just, I've always, in fact, I was there in 2014 when uh, there was a, a dust-up with, with Gaza and, and saw the Iron Dome in action. My concern is that Israel's always on a time clock and that uh, the, the, there's only so much goodwill in the international community for Israel, no matter how great the threat is. And so I think there's just concern that the, the longer this is drug out, that Israel may not be able to finish what they need to accomplish. 
Look, at the end of the day, we're the ones who have to live with Gaza on our borders. No one else in the world. We want the international support. We've had an outpouring of international support from the United States, our dearest ally. I think when when history looks back and sees what the how the United States has stood with Israel, it will go down in history as a great friendship. At the end of the day, every person, every country have their own concerns, their own objectives. For Israel, we are the only ones who have to live with Gaza on our border, right. and therefore we have to be able to secure the state of Israel in the south, in the north, and make sure that our people are safe. That is our top priority, and it should higher be. than anything else. And it should be. And that is what we are going to do. That yeah. is what we will do. A final question for you, Major. Thanks so much for joining us. But uh, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians, we're, most of our audience Christians here in the United States. How can Christians here in America continue to pray for and support Israel? First of all, I think the outpouring of prayers throughout the world is heard. And uh, we know that uh, we feel the prayers. Israel is a place that prayers are often directed, especially Jerusalem. And while we've suffered greatly, we're also having phenomenal achievements. And we're looking very positively after 2,000 years of the Jewish people having no army, having been exiled from the state of Israel. We're back in Israel. We have an army finally to defend us, the Israeli Defense Forces, and we're going to succeed in what we're doing. And all the thoughts and all the prayers and all the support is not only greatly needed, it's felt. And that feeling gives us strength both in the battlefield and when we're home with our families and in everything we're doing to keep the state of Israel alive and well. Well, Major, we are praying for the peace not only of Jerusalem, but all of Israel. And we hope that that peace comes quickly. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, we do. We need to keep praying. Pray for the peace of Israel. All right, don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. All right, again, let me give you the Capitol switchboard number, 202-224-3121. This is in regards to the National Defense Authorization Act. This is an annual measure that gives policy and funding to our nation's military. Now, as we've been talking about for months here on this program, the Biden administration unilaterally, disregarding what Congress had said in federal statute, began to facilitate with taxpayer dollars the travel to get abortions. Now, that's using taxpayer dollars, which is in a violation of federal law, to facilitate abortions. So Coach Tuberville, Senator Tuberville from Alabama, has been put a hold on military promotions, making them promote them one at a time instead of uh, all of them at one time. And to solve that issue, which they were complaining about, In the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, there was an amendment put in there that made very clear that money should not be spent to facilitate abortions. So that goes through, and the concern over military promotions goes away. It's that simple. But they are so devoted to abortion that they would rather tank the military. So you need to contact your congressman and your two senators, and you can do that by calling 202-224-3121 and make sure there's no taxpayer funding facilitation of abortion in the National Defense Authorization Act or we should vote against it. All right, on another matter, negotiations continue in the Senate regarding President Biden's request for emergency spending for Ukraine, which Republicans insist must, must be coupled with increased border security. Now, I actually talked to the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, about this today. And he also met with Republican senators today and has indicated that he does support additional aid to Ukraine if coupled with effective border security measures to counter the Biden administration's disastrous handling of the border. So what can we expect in these negotiations? Will Senate Republicans hold the line? Will they stand with the House Republicans? Well, today there were several standing with the House Freedom Caucus members on this very issue. Joining me now to discuss this is one of them, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Budget Committee. Senator Braun, welcome back to Washington Watch. 
Good to be back on. So tell us about the current discussions. Uh, sounded pretty resolute at the press conference today that uh, some Republicans are dug in on this. No Ukraine spending without an overhaul of border security. Well, let me give you a kind of a general o- overview of the kind of a dynamic that has changed. And this goes back maybe uh, at least a year ago, uh, where many conservatives in the Senate were starting to flex their muscles a little bit. In other words, not uh, going along with what gets orchestrated behind closed doors, generally not in line with our own point of view. Uh, A few of us were on stage today with the uh, stalwarts over in the House. So this is something that I haven't seen in the five years I've been here. So that's good news in general. Um, And I've never seen uh, basically leadership be kind of commandeered by a real conservative idea that we maybe ought to secure our own border before we start borrowing every penny of what would be in those supplemental bills. If you remember, the House sent us over an Israeli aid package that would have paid for it That's the first time that's occurred in five years since I've been here on a supplemental. We generally borrow 100%. Of course, Schumer would not take it up. By the way, that came over from the House with about 12 Democrats for it. So that's a new dynamic. And when uh, Speaker Johnson was here today, he's wrestling with a very thin margin. Uh, It's not going to be easy for him to get this stuff through, but we on the conservative side in the Senate steering committee, and that number is growing too, by the way, uh, we're finally coalescing around something to where it's the first time I've seen a real issue that's important to conservatives leapfrog in front of the typical borrowing and spending that we do behind closed doors, and that would be these supplemental foreign aid bills. The Israeli package has got near unanimity. The Ukrainian package, not the case. you got a Taiwan package in there. Generally, that all gets done. Uh, 10 to 12 Republicans go along with every Democrat. It's a fait accompli. It's a different dynamic this time. So, Senator Brown, let's talk a little bit specifics when it comes to the the border, because the Biden administration actually requested more funding for border, but it's really not a funding issue. I mean, if you're just going to hire more border agents, give them a pay raise, uh, you know, add a little more technology, if you don't change your policies, what are you going to fix? And that is actually even worse because that was deceptive. Uh, asking for more to complete a border wall that should have been done a long time ago. Uh, then they uh, they did it. I think they spin it both ways to their own base. They said, well, we had to do it. And then to the middle, which is getting com- uh, increasingly disgruntled with the open border policy, uh, they try to spin it a different way. So, yes, uh, well-made point until the policies change, and that's not too difficult, go to what was working in the Trump administration. We were down to record low crossings. There wasn't even a category called gotaways then. And they have gambled that long-term politically, every illegal immigrant will become a voter 
someday. It's all starting to fall apart. But still, I've never seen us do anything that would take it to this level of to where if we don't get substantive border reform policies, then you're not going to get to these other supplemental spending bills. That is different. Hopefully, Johnson will hold firm. Hopefully, we will do what our caucus said, is we won't grant any cloture votes to end debate until we get that substantive border reform. We'll see. I, I want to play a clip from Vice President Harris. Um, she was, uh, th- this was uh, today, she was talking about the border. You, you made comment reference to the Trump administration and the policies they had in place. I was actually there yep. after the Remain in Mexico policy uh, was put in place, and it was like a ghost town. Uh, she's actually blaming the Trump administration for the current immigration problem. Play clip number eight. It's no surprise to anyone here that our immigration system is broken. It is. And one could talk about what happened over the previous four years before we came in in terms of what may have been an intent to break our immigration system, but it needs to be repaired, and we are working on that. I mean, did they live in a fantasy world? You know, it's always impressed me by them in terms of how they think they own Madison Avenue. They can take anything, and they get most of the media to either say nothing or go along with them. But, no, the proof is in the pudding here. The numbers were down to fifteen to 20,000 illegal crossings uh, right there before the Biden administration took over. And now it's 200,000 a month with 60,000 gotaways. You cannot spin that any way other than it's chaos. Uh, they still are giving it lip service mostly, but it is starting to show up among independents that the border, along with this sugar high economy they've created with inflation, are going to be two issues that aren't going to go away. The one they can control is probably the border. They'll do it with lip service and kind of fake moves, but we'll hold them accountable. They can't get by with trying to shade that in a different direction. The economy is actually in a place where I don't know what they can do with it. When you unleash all that fiscal dump and stimulus, and then you back it up with monetary policy, they know they can't control that necessarily. They're starting to go into the border because they're getting hit from both issues. Yeah, and it's clearly they're feeling the pressure on this. And I I would agree with your statement earlier uh, when it comes to the Republicans coming together and actually this uh, synergy that's beginning to take place between the House and the Senate on real border security Efforts. It is encouraging to see. Uh, You mentioned Israel and the supplemental funding. Reports that there's division now among Democrats uh, on Israel because some want to put conditions on that funding. They want to uh, parrot, as they do, you know, here in the United States, domestic spending. They want uh, humanitarian spending to be increased as we give Israel more funds to defend themselves. And they also want a promise that it's going to uh, reduce civilian casualties. Israel will reduce civilian casualties. What, 
you know, Hamas is the one that's not letting people go. Um, so what what is going to be the outcome there when it comes to support for Israel? Well, uh, that can get, get through the gate over there because even with a two to four vote margin, I think you're going to have most Republicans uh, 100% on board there. That already came from the House to us. The whole play there will be in the Senate. And by the way, if it wasn't for Speaker Johnson and the crew of Freedom, Freedom Caucus members over there, none of this would be occurring in terms of coalescing around it coming from the House. So here, what you mentioned, there is discord among Democrats. I don't know you'll see much of that in the Senate. Uh, there will be, but when it comes to the Israeli aid, I think regardless of whether they don't like it or not, we can still get that from the House over to the Senate. Then it'll be a question, what does Schumer do with it? Because we would need 11 Democrats to go along with whatever the House sends over. So uh, if it's enough discord over there on the progressive side, that could impact what Schumer decides to do, but it's still in the total calculus of what independents are now starting to say in the political marketplace, and they don't like either the border or the economy, that will be uh, taken into consideration. Maybe they'll do something they don't want to do. It remains to be seen. It, it, the dynamics are very interesting, uh, and, and, and you're right. There, there, there may be some things that they're forced to do, and I, I actually think the border security is one of them. They don't want to touch it. They don't want to do it, but they're going to be forced to if they want this additional funding for Ukraine. Senator Brunt, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us. Always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, standing firm there in the Senate. My pleasure to be on, and I will keep doing that. All right. Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. I want to bring in uh, Matt Carpenter from uh, FRC Action uh, very quickly as we wrap up today's program, because it's interesting that we're seeing movement away from the the Biden administration, from President Biden himself, that a lot of his his policies— the polling is reflect that there's a movement away. The, la- the latest national poll by NBC News shows President Biden's approval rating dropping to its lowest level since he took office. And strong majorities of all voters disapprove of his handling of foreign policy, among other areas. So the landscape has changed quite a bit ahead of the 2024 presidential election. What does that mean going forward? Well, here to... Uh, to Give us the latest on this. Matt Carpenter, director of FRC Action. Matt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tony. So what what uh, what jumped out at you about this uh, latest poll on the approval rating of President Biden? So, Tony, this is a remarkable poll from NBC News uh, recently came out that showed Biden at uh, I think it was the lowest mark that this poll has ever uh, had for this president in terms of job approval at 40 percent. But what is really poignant in this data when you start looking at it is uh, President Biden's uh, performance in a hypothetical matchup against former President Donald Trump against Gen Z and millennial voters. Now, this is a demographic that uh, President Biden won in the 2020 election. The last time uh, he faced uh, President Trump, 60 percent 
to 36%. Now, this NBC poll has a, again, it's a hypothetical matchup. A lot of pollsters are starting to move in this direction of reading the tea leaves and figuring out what, what a, uh, in 49 weeks from now, who's going to be on the ballot. Um, and in a hypothetical matchup, once again, between uh, the 47th and uh, 46th and 45th president, they show President Trump actually winning by four points. Now, this is within the polls margin of error of six points. But still, that's a 20-point swing among voters who are trying to get a foothold uh, to start their lives. They're trying to start families. They're trying to buy houses. And so I think they're looking around at the, at the options available to them, and they're souring on, this, on the Biden administration. Is a lot of that uh, being driven by the economy, the economic situation? It is primarily driven by the economic situation. It, housing, you know, you look at mortgage rates, they're on the rise. You look at inflation, I think it's 18 percent up. I could be wrong on that. But across the board, um, some of these basic economic benchmarks that young people are hoping to do, they're hoping to get out there and start a family. They're hoping right. to get married. They're hoping to, um, to buy a home and get a good-paying job. And it's just becoming harder and harder for them. Hard to do in this economy. Matt Carpenter, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tony. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And remember, the website, TonyPerkins.com, that's where you can find your action items, your homework. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 8, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, uh, starts in verse 18, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But what you want to do is you want to take your stand and you want to keep standing no matter what. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.